Welcome to Volpreneur Podcast Channel. My very special guest today is David Wood. He's a former consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies, including Sony Music, Chanel, Exxon. David has left his cushy Park Avenue 20-year job and built the world's largest coaching business. He became number one on Google for Life Coaching, serving an audience of 150,000 coaches and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. Alongside his client successes, David is no stranger overcoming challenges himself, having survived full collapse of his paraglider and fractured spine, witnessing the death of his sister at age seven and severe anxiety and depression and a national gong show. He's an author of Get Paid for What You Who You Are with a Ford by Jack Canfield. He's nominated to the Transformational Leadership Council along with such leaders as Don Miguel Rich, John Gray and Marianne Williamson. David Rocks coaches rockstar entrepreneurs to develop their, to double their revenue faster, overcome shiny object syndrome and be more extraordinary entrepreneurial and human. Welcome, David, to the show. So you said you've been in the States for like 20 years and you're from Australia, right? So you're born, were you born in Sydney? I was born in Cessnock. Cessnock, right. Which okay. is just two hours from Sydney near Newcastle. Okay. And um, I always wanted to, I mean, I travelled as you have to do. It's a law in Australia that you have yeah, to yeah, travel, pretty for, much. travel for a year. <laughs> yeah. So I backpacked for a year and I, I, I came home and I realised I can't afford to keep doing that. I, I just couldn't keep funding it. So I decided the magic pill would be to work in another country. <laughs> yeah. So I asked my company for a transfer and through a bit of a miracle, it, it happened. And I, I went and interviewed over on Park Avenue and got the job. So that's how I got over to the States. And I've, I've just, re I mean, I love going home to Australia, but there are a lot of progressive communities in the States that, um, in some good ways and some bad ways are ahead of Australia. So I, I, I've just always gravitated back towards the US. And I think the biggest problem in Australia is that, you know, that we, they lose so much talent, like in terms of software and, and, you know, actual talent that goes to the US because Australia is either too small of a market or it's just not set up for it, right? So it's really annoying because there's a company we deal with with our development stuff called Alassian, which is like a, an Australian success story, and they've stayed here. Um, rather than going overseas, I mean, they've launched on the Australian uh, in the stock exchange over there and stuff like that. But their operations stayed in Australia, and I admire the fact that some companies, you know, stick it out. But it's it's tough because you just don't have those opportunities um, that you have in, in yeah. countries like US. I I lived in Bali for three years and mm. and really loved it, but I really felt out of what was going on. You know, like now mm. that I'm here in the US, there's mm. something about being here physically and yep. I can't go to live events right now. So mm. I guess now it matters less than it. But yeah. just being in the same time zone and being around other people, I, it feels like things are really happening here. So for now, mm. this is the place to really build my mm. business. And then eventually, who knows, I might end up in South America or back in Bali or mm. back in Australia. I think eventually it becomes a point where you start controlling more things ultimately so you can you can choose where you work from. I mean, and I think the yeah. whole COVID thing changed the demographics of how people work as well. So I think ultimately, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably be able to move to less. Because previously when you try to do business and even recent times, you know, I've been in the States plenty of times. And the thing is, if, you, if you're there, you get stuff done, you'll get the interaction, you'll get that person to buy into what you want to do but if you're trying to do it long distance on the phone or zoom it just doesn't work that way like you just don't get that connection it's it's something that yeah. even you know the computers can't do yet <laughs> so um 
So, um, have you been uh, have you been a sufferer of shiny object syndrome? I'm guessing because obviously, oh, yeah. no one you have to be one, right? <laughs> yeah. See, I think this is the problem uh, for intelligent entrepreneurs mm. or any entrepreneur is that we see the possibilities. Mm, mm. We see so many ideas and options and strategies. You know, I was talking once. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, of Jack Canfield from Chicken yeah. Soup, and he he was joking once. We need a hotline called Creator Holics Anonymous, and you call it up and someone talks you out of the idea. Talks you off the cliff, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's a little bit like that with my clients. Um, we see so many possibilities. Yep. There are five different markets we want to serve. Mm. There are five different problems we want to help them with. Mm. There are five minute, five different solutions that we have and five different promises. And that's before we get to traffic sources and mm. then conversion tool. Mm. So, the end result is we're often feeling scattered and overworked and not actually being super productive. We're doing a lot, yep. but we're not going deep in the areas that matter. And that's where I come in. I got really interested around this because almost every client that showed up had some form of this. Mm. And so the first thing that I help them do is let's, let's narrow it down. Mm. Let's look at where you want to go. That's the first thing. Let's get really clear on that. A lot of people aren't actually clear on where they're going to be in 12 months and they're not clear on where they're going to be in eight weeks. Yeah. So we start with that. And then um, what are you going to say no to? I had one client who's doing well and he came to me one day, he said, I got a great opportunity to buy a company that it only cost a million. I think it's a good price. And I said, let me get this straight. You're, everything's going so well for you You've nailed everything so perfectly and with all the spare time you have and how bored you are, you want to take on another company. <laughs> and there was silence and he's like, yeah, all right, let's, let's move on to what's next. <laughs> Be because he yeah. had not milked all the, all the possibilities yeah. for his current company. He, he wasn't nailing everything mm. as well as he could so it's like, look, you could buy that company or you could become the leader in your market mm -hmm. with this company. And then once you've hit that, go and look for other opportunities. Yeah. I mean, oh, we did that. I did. I learned a very good lesson about partnerships when, when I was years ago when we, we merged with another software company because the, the major supplier actually actually merged. So he actually merged with a bigger. So the, suddenly he was a competitor one week and, a, and, a, and an actual part of the same ecosystem the next week. And so we decided to merge. It seemed logical, right, to merge. Um, and in that pretty shiny syndrome, we didn't check well enough. We didn't dig deep enough into his financials. He didn't ask enough questions, probably did it a little bit too quickly. And before I knew it, it cost me like a million dollars. Because basically, wow. you know, all these debts that he had, you know, his Porsche payment we were paying and all these expensive things he was doing, uh, all these supply, it was creditors we didn't know about, and all these things came on top of us. And then he didn't want to work. He didn't. He yeah. actually wanted to work in the business. He just wanted to go home at five o'clock. And so his his actual goals were different as well. So we never talked about the goals. Do you know what I mean like it was a great learning lesson in? Oh, this like sounds like a good idea at the time, um, but ultimately it probably was a good idea in the end because we made it that way. We had to make it. You know, I had to buy him out. It cost me a million dollars to get rid of him. But the reality was that, you know. Yeah. So every new thing we take on is going to take up more RAM in, mm. in our brains. Mm. And I just thought of a, an analogy that I hadn't thought of before. Um, I, 
I like playing a game called StarCraft II, which is a, one of the most complex computer games that there is. Right. And, and when you play it, there's so much that you can do. There's like so many different units and so many different strategies. And if you start playing around mm. with all those different options, what happens is you end up losing because it's fun you're trying this strategy and this strategy and then you're attacking here and you're attacking there and you're doing that. But what happens is you end up falling behind mm. because someone who just tries a simple strategy, there are strategies in the game that don't take a lot of RAM. They yeah. don't take a lot of your brain power. Yeah. So I follow those strategies now and then go across and walk across the map and kill the other person because they're trying to get sexy and clever. Yep. And they fall behind. It's a yeah. bit like that in the company. You can get mm. sexy and clever and it can be fun. But if you really want to double revenue and you really want to double your time off, let's come up with a basic, simple strategy that you do well mm. instead of five strategies that you do poorly. Yep. I, get, I get really interested mm. around that. Now, you're going to need someone to constantly check you and talk you out of it. I'm an example right now. I, I, I've got three different uh, traffic strategies that I'm testing. Yeah. Now, if I keep doing that and keep trying to put all my energy into three different traffic strategies, I'm not going to do either of them very well. No. So I'm testing them and then I'll pick one and hang my hat on that. And I want yeah. that for our listeners. I want you to do that around your market, mm. your targeting. I want you to do that around your problem and your promise. I want you to do that around your traffic source and do that around your conversion tool. And then, and this is from Clay Collins, he taught the five ones and then do that for a year, one year mm. to get really good at that. And then look, once you've hit a million in revenue, yeah, sure. Maybe you throw it out the window. Mm. That's fine. Um, but to get to that first million, I, I think Clay's really onto something. Mm. And this is a model that can help us. So I, I do a pyramid and I take people through it. And then I say, all right, now you pick one of these out of market, problem and promise, uh, conversion tool and traffic source. You pick one of these to focus on first and we're going to get you honed in on that. Then we'll go to the next one and the next one so that you can basically achieve way more in half the time. It's interesting we have a chat about squash before we started and uh, I think squash is a great metaphor for business, right? If you get on mm. that squash game and you try to do lots of different things in that, in that game, you will come undone, right? Because unless, you're, unless the player is completely bamboozled by your randomness, if you don't, and squash is almost like about, there's only about two or three main things you should focus on when you're playing squash, the rest don't matter, and that's consistency, right? Consistency and focus. And I think that's the thing that, you know, if you don't do that in squash, you'll get killed in that game. Like, there was nothing that's a great, it's a great example. I used to coach squash and I'm a huge squash geek. I'm in fact, I'm a training geek in general. Mm. And, you know, if I was starting training someone, I would take them to the back of the court on the left-hand side and mm. say, from this position, you get really good and consistent at putting the ball back here. Yeah. So we'll start with that. Now, it's going to take a couple of months of, mm. of dedication to get good at that. Mm. Mm. Then we'll start at you being able to put it in the backhand uh, corner from other places in the court. Yeah. Just get really good. So when you play someone, they're like, oh, my God, this dude just keeps putting just me shot. back here. Yeah, one shot, get out of trouble, right? <laughs> yeah. 
So you don't have to like, but what people do is they're like, oh, I'm going to do a drop shot and then I'll learn a lob and then I'll do a cross court and then I'll do the boast and whatever. And if you try and do everything, you don't get good at anything. Yeah, yeah, and and it's interesting when you watch some players who are really good at one particular thing, like even running there, running really fast <laughs> and getting the ball. You know, like there's some players you notice that aren't fantastic players. They don't play great shots, but they run like crazy, and they'll get that ball from anywhere, and yep. that's their thing, right? That's how they win, and the, and yep. they don't stop it. They don't stop doing that. Um, and, and, and that's one of thirty time. pieces. Mm. that you might want to put attention on a master mm. but you can't do them all at the same time that's why that's why most people don't get much better at squash or any sport mm. and i understand it because they just want to play yeah that's fine but if you want to train you got to break it down and you got to get good at each step and then you gradually increase the pressure mm. because what you can do in practice you're never going to do under pressure. You've got to gradually ramp it up. You've got to be unconsciously confident, right? You've got to get to a yeah. point where you don't even think about same it. With, same with business. I, I broke down doubling your revenue into nine steps mm. and then put those into three different buckets. Mm. And so I take people through. You can't do all of them at once. Mm. Let's work out which three out of the nine steps really are relevant to you. And then let's work out which one out of the five ones is relevant to you. And we'll start there. Mm. and how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time exactly and i think that's the thing about um the danger is that also it's also as you get older and you get more you know wiser you pick things up quicker and i think some people don't right so i'm I'm training my son who's just turned 21 to be in the business and he and i say to him hey look there's an indicator someone says something or does something you you know that that's going to play out a certain way right and so what I think also do is we don't look listen to our gut. So we end up saying, oh, that sounds good. Like I think Pretty Shiny also has a way of covering stuff up, right? So you suddenly think, oh, that sounds good, and you start making it sound better than it is. But at the same time, you're not following your gut feeling, going, oh, this doesn't sound like a good idea at all. And I even had one the other day where I said, I actually wrote an email and said, I should have followed my gut feeling at the time and not done that. It was just a little thing, but it destroyed a relationship with a supplier that, that breached the rules that we'd set up. But the reality was is that, you know, the gut feeling was not to put him in that position in the first place and it probably would have never happened. But we did it anyway and ignored the gut. And mm. I think that's the thing. Sometimes you get pretty shiny. The gut isn't telling you that. Your eyes are, right? And so and your brain's telling you stuff, but your gut's not telling you that. Like it's right. saying, screaming, a, stop, stop, a, stop. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's a shiny object like, yeah, yeah. like, like eating food. It's mm. like, oh, that looks good. I'm going to eat that. Oh, that looks good. I'm going to eat that. And then your belly's. And 20 minutes later, you realize that your body's just finally got to the point where it's said. Yeah, exactly. So it is a bit like that. And, you know, like a kid in a candy store. We are like that as entrepreneurs. Mm. And it's too easy to, to get overwhelmed and say, I'm just going to try and do everything. Mm. And it doesn't, doesn't feel very good. There's the adrenaline part of it, which is fine, and the dopamine hit. So I understand that, and that's that. It's entertaining, but think about it: the tortoise and the hare, mm. right? Do you really want to do a sprint and then fall down exhausted and not make it to the finish line, or do you want to be very deliberate about where you put your attention mm. and get there so much faster? So how do you? Uh, and this is an interesting thing that I've seen, and we actually developed a software platform around this concept, right? Was that 
an entrepreneur by default, generally speaking, is creative, and they like the they like the they just had the doberman hit. They like to get that, that that kick all the time, and and you look at some of the really successful businesses. I mean, they reckon like um, Jeff Bezos is a very boring guy, right? He's he's not a very exciting guy. Even you know Elon Musk says that, right? He says he's not a very exciting guy, and the reality is is that he's done one thing, and he just you know he's very consistent over time. And I mean, now he does a lot of things. But the reality is it started off just with books and he just, but he knew what the end game was obviously in that scenario. When he first started, right. he could see that was it going to be bigger than books. But the reality is most entrepreneurs can't, can't do that. And so they're their own worst enemies in some respects because they want to keep on doing something. I've got a client the other day that like her idea now is that, well, rather than focus on trying to get clients, just write another book, right? Let's not, let's distract ourselves from what we really should be doing. It's actually selling, all right? And I think that's part of the entrepreneur's problem too, I see is that most entrepreneurs don't like to sell. Like they're not necessarily salespeople. They'll sell from their passion if they let that way, but they won't. They don't want to be a salesperson. They don't want to sell anything, right? And half the time they're the only person in the business, so they've got to sell. And so um, I think the danger is how do they continue with that concept of getting that dopamine hit that they really need? Because I think without it, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll get bored, right? But yeah, then, well, you know what I mean? Like, how do you deal with that? And um, how do you give them the outlet to do that when, when they should be focusing on? Yeah, well, Thomas Leonard, I think, solved this a long time ago. Thomas Leonard is is sometimes known as the father of modern coaching because mm-hmm. he popularized the concept. And he said in his training, don't try and get an entrepreneur to focus on one thing, but try and get them to focus on three. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, yeah, I, I guess I'd be an example there with the traffic source. You know, for me to just do one, I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's enough variety. I need to be able to testing more. So, so I've been testing LinkedIn traffic and then testing Facebook traffic, and yep. um, and also I appear on podcasts like like yours. That's that's my main way of of um, getting in touch with the right people. Yep. But an agreement I made with myself was that. For the next year, I will not put a bunch of attention into alliances mm-hmm. and influencer marketing. Time, time burner, right? Well, I that's not that's not why because I'd be really good at it. I know a lot of people. I'm good at networking. I'm I'm well connected. Um, a friend of mine just sent an email four months ago. I had sixty three people book a session with me mm-hmm. from that one email. But the reason is it's going to scatter me too much. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be do, able to do well at it. So dialing it into three things and then I'm, I'm dropping LinkedIn because that was a lot of work and I didn't enjoy it. So that's, that's out. I'm going to keep going with the Facebook ads and keep doing podcast interviews because I love speaking and I love uh, talking about life and business. Mm-hmm. So with my, with my clients, I don't insist that they just focus on one thing because they're entrepreneurs, but I have them narrow it down. Mm. And I think, they, again, the five ones is a really great model for you to take a look at how scattered are you mm. in the different areas of business. And, hey, maybe if you've got three of them dialed in and you've just got one market, one problem and promise and one traffic source, then maybe you'll exp- you can, can play with different conversion tools right yeah. but if you're if you're scattered in all all of those areas then you see there's a there's a lot of work to be done 
always say to actually less work to be done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I always say to my clients, you want, want to be something to someone rather than nothing to no one. And I think the trouble is when you scatter yourself out, that's what you end up doing. You just end up so scattered. No one can really, you don't, you don't really create any bandwidth that people really notice. There's not enough of it. So then yeah. you're not going to get noticed. I think that yeah. podcasting is interesting though. Um, and you probably experience this too, is that it's the only platform that I know that where you will sign up for an intimate conversation, listen to an intimate conversation for a period of time, let's say up to an hour. There's no other platform that I know of that you will do that. You know, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, you know, YouTube, they're all within seconds you've lost people. They don't hang for very long. But podcasting, they'll sign up for that one hour and listen to that because they want to. As opposed to, yeah. it's, almost like, it's almost like the education entertainment, if you like, but they're actually, it's almost like watching a TV show. As opposed to going, oh, here's an ad on TV that just went past me. I'm just going to ignore that. Yeah, that's so true. I, you know, I know some people use podcasts for company. It's nice to have a, a voice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I, I don't normally listen to podcasts myself, but I was just listening to an episode from your show mm-hmm. before I came on this interview and I was disappointed I had to stop. I was listening to your uh, masterminds. Oh, okay. With, with, you. Um, with Dean, probably Dean Graciosa. That was an interesting one. Yeah. Oh, was that Dean? I, did, I didn't even. Oh, text no, no. Him. Actually, no, that was Brad. I think you might have been. There's actually you've done a couple cast, a few mastermind ones, actually. It was Brad Hart, probably. It was your most most recent one. Yes, Brad. Yes. Uh, Brad Hart. Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed mm. enjoyed that. It's like he seems like a switched on guy. So yeah. someone I enjoy hanging out with. So I, yeah. I was like, oh, you know, I think I need to listen to more podcasts myself. Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing I've sort of done. Though. I mean, I've sort of addicted to a new one because it's called Darknet Diaries, which is quite interesting. So it's completely nothing to do with business, right? It's actually to do with hacking and, and you know, what people have done. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a geeky one as such. It's all a, it, he plain languages it. So he actually takes something that's qu- quite interesting but makes it more interesting and he does a great edit. So it's almost like an education in podcasting. Right? Oh, man, i got to check that out. I, I've and been interested in hacking since I was 12 years old. Yeah, well, it's so, called Darknet Diaries, and what they do is he, he goes in, in deep. So that's another interesting thing about this whole project. He doesn't talk about um, – he goes and finds a thing, and then he goes in real deep and researches it, finds out about it, and presents it on his show. And there's all sorts of things like where um, – which I found out quite interesting, and this is probably a good warning for people, was it, most people have these PBX systems where if you dial in right to an extension number, you get a message saying, hey, I've gone home on Friday afternoon, I've gone home. Um, you know, leave a message and you can then hit nine and you can get your messages, right? Because you can dial into your extension. He said 90% of people, when they did this research, found out they used their extension numbers, their password. And so what it does is they just go in there and they change, they go in there, get login and they change the redirect to one nine hundred number and thousands of dollars, and then they just dial that number all weekend Well, because you're not there. Thousands, wow. one company got billed $300,000 over a weekend. Over a million phone calls were made to the extension numbers. Wow, that is genius. Yeah, and then, and he talks about how they tracked this guy down that actually had done it. He'd actually stolen all this money in Bangladesh or something, and and it was a very interesting story. And he's editing it, you know, like he's t- he's pre-framing it on the editing, so he's not just recorded a show. He's gone back and he's pre-framed it as he's going. It's really well done, and he's just gone up and told him all these interesting stories about this guy, this hacker in Uruguay that got. Um, you know, arrested, and he wasn't even, he was he was actually innocent. He was jailed for nine months and what he went through. So it's such an interesting podcast. Wow. Um, and so I was addicted. So I think that's the trouble with podcasting is the biggest problem with Apple, and I think they know this, right, because it's very frustrating, is that if you have more than, say, five podcasts that you subscribe to, 
it becomes a living nightmare to keep track of it. So you can't, their software will not let you do that. You, like I've had to change the Stitcher because I want to keep across a lot of different podcasts. The Apple podcast, if you have more than five there, you can't keep track of what's coming up next. You can't do a playlist. You can't, you know, it's very limited. So it's either by design because they know that you can't cope with more than four or five shows and you're back to that whole three to five scenario, right? Or they just didn't bother making it, you know, didn't bother with it. But I find it unusual that they wouldn't because they, they see the data. They're, they're the, you know, they're 90% in the market. Probably Spotify's catching them now. But Well, I'll really, check out their Darknet, Darknet yeah. Diaries. I really like the sound of that. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So I think that's the, um, the danger is that... Um, so one of the things I was talking about was goal setting, right? So um, I think... The other problem too is time, right? So consistency over time will beat anybody, right? Because they'll, you know, as you say, like they'll, you know, um, hair and the tortoise kind of thing. But how do you get a someone like one of your clients to stay on target for that? Let's say you say, okay, for this next year, I'm gonna we've got to set these goals. And how do you get them? Because a year is a long time in an entrepreneur's brain, right? Like you know, ninety minutes is a long time in an entrepreneur's brain, like a yeah. whole year. How do you get yeah. them on the track of doing that? And 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 they get a dopamine hit out of that. Yeah. So there are a couple of issues here. The first one is, do you even have goals? That's the first one. Mm -hmm. And I, I've operated through a lot of my life without having clear goals and it, that works. That's fine. I just, I show up, I do some stuff, I keep moving generally in the direction and have success. So that's fine. But the first thing, I think we can make goals sexy again because goals can have you leap out of bed. Mm. Goals can have you motivated and goals can tell you what to say no to. Yes. <laughs> right. So I would say step one, make sure that you know 12 months from now where you want to be and how you want to feel. And, you know, so I, I can just imagine people listening say, yeah, I know that stuff. Yeah, well, you may know it, but do you do it? Mm. Mm. So let's have the goals. I've got one client, Sam page who started with me he wanted to increase revenue by 25 to 50 percent after two weeks he could see how to 10x so he hadn't seen that before but now he's like i don't want to increase by 25 to 50 percent i don't want to increase by a thousand percent now so the and and now he's even more motivated than he was before because he's now he's got this grand vision so it's really important to start with that even though it seems obvious the next question is, how do we keep a thread? How do we keep a connection between what I do today and that 12-month goal? Because it's pie in the sky. Mm. When he started, he was like, all right, I want $10 million a year in revenue. I'd need 10 different products that are doing a million each. Okay, I can do that. Within three years from now, I can do that. But how do I make it real? Well, to make it real... He had to come back and say, well, what do I have to have in place 12 months from now? So he worked that out and he's like, is that doable? Yeah, it'll be hard, but it's doable. Mm. But he, what he did was made it real by coming back to 12 months. And then super important point, which I've avoided for most of my life until now, what do you want eight weeks from now? Mm -hmm. So you've got 12 months out. What about eight weeks? That's pretty, that's almost a sprint. Mm. But eight weeks, what do I need to have in place mm. to be fully on track to that? Mm. Now, now shit starts to get real. 
because mm. that's just two months away. Yep. And then, so that's two is like, how do we create that thread? Well, that's a beginning that we've got an eight week target, but then it's too easy for those eight week goals to go on the fridge and we just don't look at them until eight weeks from now. And then we go, <laughs> maybe we look at them or maybe we look at them a year from now and go, oh, you know, I achieved a lot of that stuff. Mm. So how do we keep the thread week by week? And it's, I think the answer is very simple. Here's an answer. Have a weekly date with yourself. I call it a CEO date. Mm -hmm. A weekly date with yourself where you look back on the week and you actually celebrate what you did and you acknowledge it because it's too easy to keep looking at the next mountain. This yeah. is what I got to climb. This is what I got to climb. And you get fatigued from just constantly looking at where you got to go 20 minutes a week, so four o'clock on a Friday. Looking back, at the, looking back down the mountain to see how far you've come, right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the first thing we do in that 20 minutes. We turn around and see how far we've come and enjoy the view. Mm. I think it's critical. Because so many of my clients just forget what they did. You do all this stuff in a week and you think, ah, oh, I didn't achieve everything. But there's no celebration of what you did do. Mm -hmm. So let's do that. And it might be four o'clock on a Friday or it might be some people like Monday morning. It doesn't matter. The second thing we're going to do during that 20 minutes is look at your eight-week goals and work out what you're going to do over the next seven days. That's it. I've got it now in my calendar, Friday, uh, each morning, I have to have my weekly action plan worked out, which just means this is what I will do over the next seven days. And if I don't get that done in time, I, I have to pay $5 to somebody I don't like. <laughs> so you don't like. That's a penalty. <laughs> it keeps me honest and it keeps, yeah. keeps me on. Otherwise, I just let it slide to no, the next week. There's no week repercussions, right? There's no, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I generate some accountability for that so every week i've got the goals and then when i set my goals i i do something called the a game with those goals and my students um both love and hate this but they know it works i work out which goals are a goals meaning they have to be done or it's a five dollar penalty mm -hmm. and which goals are b goals meaning i hope to do them yeah that's a game changer I just looked at my at my um goals today to see am i on track because i know if i don't look at them I won't hit them and I'm up for five bucks per goal. Mm. So I looked at it and tomorrow morning I've got one thing I have to do and the rest of them are, are B goals. It could be so, quite expensive if you're under pretty shiny syndrome, couldn't it? If, you <laughs> if you've got shiny object syndrome, it, yeah. can get, it can get expensive. But for me, it's more embarrassing. Mm. I just, that I, that I, I said I'd do it yes. and I don't do it. And when you're playing the A game, you must achieve the goal. There are no excuses. If you're in a coma in hospital, you still have to achieve the goal or you're up for five bucks. So it gets your brain thinking like, Damn, how am I going to get this done in time? Who do I need help from? Mm. It just reorganizes your thinking. It's a way of getting your own attention. Because the danger there is that your, your B goals are the ones you suddenly panic about, right? Um, oh, I don't, I don't panic about the B goals because there's no consequence. What they'll do is they'll go, oh, my B goal, that's what I've got to really focus on. Like I've got a client at the moment that's, that one of the payment gateways that she uses is going to not work anymore, yet she's not making any money. So it's not like it's a problem at the moment, right? You, you're trying to focus on, on a gateway that doesn't really matter because you still collect money. It's, it's a B goal, really, 
you should be focusing on how can I oh, get okay. money through the other so gateway, right? Yeah, so that should be a B goal for her mm. instead of an A goal. So when you do this CEO date with yourself, that's where you exercise your executive function in the brain and mm. you make choices. I will do this this week and you might want to also choose I will not do Mm. these things this week mm. because I cannot do everything. So I let me do these things. Well, I'm looking up at, um, I've got a, a, a scrum board right, right up in front of me and I've got, uh, the hopper, which is just all the things that I want to do. Mm. And then I've got, all right, for this week, I've moved these things in the, into the to do column. And then while I'm actually working on a task, I move it over into the, I'm doing it now. So there's only one that can be on that on that task. And then when it's done, I move it over to the win column. Simple four columns. Mm. But this is what you will do during your CEO time. If you don't have the CEO date, yep. you're just scrambling. Yeah. You're just reacting to email probably most of the time and just doing whatever's made the most noise. Mm. So those are the those are the three things I recommend. Have your 12 yep. month goals, have your eight-week goals. And have that weekly CEO date with yourself. The final step is: Are you actually going to stay on track with it? Because I, I'm not there watching you, mm. so I can't. When you wake up on Monday morning, I can't make sure that you only do the the things that your CEO told you are important. Mm. That's that's up to you. You've got to exercise some discipline and say, you know what? This is what I've said I'm doing this week. I'm going to focus on this. This other things come up. You know what? I'll write it down. I'll put it in the hopper. Yep. Maybe next week it'll make it onto the list, but I'm focused right now. And that's interesting with our software design at the moment because we, we started this ambitious task of, of developing this software, an online marketing platform that basically is one system, so actual actual system. And I said we, often I say to the programmer that we've gone as we've come a long way with this. We look back and look at what we've developed and what we wanted to achieve. So that it's almost like we I reckon we're probably halfway, right? We've we've achieved so much, but the reality is we've got so much more to do. But it, we know that we've got so far with that that we it's not something we just started next last week. It's been going for a couple of years now, and so we kind of I always off back and I always say to the programmer, "Hey, by the way, look at what we've done," and I see that right. lifts him the week that week. When I say it, I don't say it a lot because I think if I say it too much, it'll just become fluff. But every month or so, I'll say, you know, look how much we've done, uh, how much, you know, all this stuff. So I'll do a demo and I think that people think it's really cool. And so, and that kicks even enough oxygen to keep things going because it can be strong yes. throwing with a program. And when you're constantly saying to them, oh, you've done this wrong. Can you fix this? This is a problem here. Can we change this? Don't like this. And then we have, we use Elassian. And one of the things in Elassian is I come up with a brilliant idea and I put it into it as an issue. And we leave it as low priority. And those issues just pile up. And then over time, we go back over and say, oh, well, that becomes, that's important now. Let's shift that to high priority. Let's get that done in the next sprint we do. Yes. And that's kind of the way we kind of do it. Because, again, it's like I, I, the other day I was looking and thinking, oh, I want to get all these things done. I can't. I haven't got the resources. You know, Even if I did, it would kill me. That's the thing. It. We That's where we need the executive function of the brain. And that's what this CEO date does. Mm. Is it's That's where you... Um, <laughs> almost you you almost parent yourself right and you say you know what i'd like to try and do that but realistically it's not going to happen and yeah. if it did happen it wouldn't be good for me mm. so i'm not going to do it mm. and i love that you ask him that question look how far we've come mm. when i do i i do two live uh q a calls with my um 
with my rising star entrepreneur students in the Samurai program. And I start almost every call with, I want to hear wins. Mm -hmm. We're not going to start with what's wrong. No. Let's start with wins. And if you can't find any, look deeper mm. because you didn't sit around doing nothing for seven days. You find out what you, you, know, what you did and I make them confront mm. how much they've done, how far they've come. Then we roll up our sleeves and say, all right, now bring your problems and challenges and mm. we'll climb higher. That's interesting because my son plays squash three times a week with me. I play five and he plays three. And last time he's been winning a bit lately. But he still needs to improve, obviously. Everyone needs to improve. There's always someone better at squash than you, right? Um, and, and so I said to the other said last night, I said, you did really well. You played all those shots. But if you played those, more of those shots, you would have won easier or you, you, know, you improve. And it's like those shots work for you. You should do more of them. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like if you can just like, because if I said to him, look, hey, great, you won. But this is the problem, so, you know, things you did wrong. Then your brain's going, I'm not listening to this. Like, I won. What the hell? <laughs> right? And, and so it's almost like we've got to prime the brain up a little bit and sort of soften it. Um, I think I, I did an interview with a client that can put, did a book called Communication Harmony, and she calls it a, a communication sandwich. So yes. basically what you do is you kind of put the, the round it, you make it soft and, and so that they're really open for it, and then you give them what they really got to eat, the, the healthy stuff. But you don't just ram that down there, right? You actually absolutely. The yeah, you start with something they're doing right, then you give the correction, mm-hmm. and then you finish with something they're doing right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's quite interesting how, and I think as entrepreneurs, you can forget that because sometimes if you're in isolation, you're working. Nowadays, we don't have as many people around you, um, particularly with COVID and stuff. Even that that particular kind of alarm bell doesn't go on. You don't realize that you're doing it that you're constantly seeing, say, negative or something. No one's checking on Uh, you. Well, look, you know, most people I know are are really hard on themselves. Mm. They're harder on themselves than anybody else is. And I think that applies to business and it applies to other things. It's just Mm. so easy. And then someone else, like I'm in a men's group and one of the guys in the men's group said, well, my wins aren't nearly as big as as your wins, but... um, I'm really, I'm really feeling so, so sweetly in love with my partner. Mm. And then he mentioned two other things, and I'm like, hang on a second. You're saying your wins aren't as big as my wins? <laughs> How much value do you place on feeling sweetly in love with your partner? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he realized what he'd been doing. He was just self-deprecating and yep. diminishing the value of what he'd done. Mm. So it, it helps to have someone who can say, hey, don't do interesting. That. I've, I've got a book that I'm doing for a client at the moment, and we nailed the cover. We kind of nailed the title in the end, I reckon. It's called, um, I think it's In Love, In Shape, Inspired. All right. And oh, to nice. me, I like that. I like it. And it fits him so well. Like it, we had it quite a few times, we had to go back with titles. But the reality is, those three things is really all you need, right? So you find these people in this constant search for wealth. But wealth doesn't, you know, wealth doesn't necessarily buy you happiness. So certainly, I'd rather be wealthy and depressed than, than broken depressed for sure. But the reality yeah. is, is that those really wealthy people, that's what they're trying to achieve, right? They're trying to achieve the same thing. They want, they want to be fit. They want to live longer. They want to be, they we want, want to, to be feel tough, good, right? And they want to, we wake want up. to feel good, feel happy. That's yeah. what we want. And, and that doesn't cost anything, right? That's in your head. That's nowhere else. That's right. That's so true. <laughs> that's, tr- that's so true. I, I, <laughs> Oh, what you said is so is, is profound. Um, I'm a big fan of Byron Katie. I've, I've gone and spent a month with her and, and mm-hmm. done it. And she says, 
because I used to I used to think that happiness would come from external stuff. Like if I had a great wife and I had a uh, a boat and I had um, you know all these things that that I'd be happy. But then I couldn't understand why you know the guy in the wheelchair who was uh, a motivational speaker seemed to be happy and you know he had burns all over his body and he's in a wheelchair yeah. and the guy with the money was miserable. Mm. I'm like, what? what's that about? And then Katie says, the worst thing that can happen to you is a thought. And I fully believe that, that, that all our happiness is available right mm. in here mm. and the external stuff. Hey, it helps to not have to worry about putting food on the table. Mm. It helps to have a really nice place. You know, like I, I, I'm a bit of a princess when it comes to noise and sleep. So I, I need a quiet environment, but once some of those basic things are fulfilled, the rest of it, mm. no money's money's not going to make me one bit happier at all. Yeah. It's really people and me. Mm. That's that's pretty much it. And I mean, at the end of the day, you can only as I said, you can only sleep in one he- uh, bed. You can only drive one car. You can only you yeah, know eat one right. meal. Like you can only have one at a time. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> someone someone just gave me the most amazing offer. He said, "Look, I want to thank you for something. What's a gift I can buy you in the ten to fifteen thousand dollar range mm. to say thank you?" And no one's ever offered to do that no. for me yeah. in my life. And I, it's a fun exercise because I'm like, <laughs> "The hell do you want?" What? <laughs> yeah, what? What do I want? I've already got my virtual reality kit for like eight hundred bucks, and and I've got my I got a massive. That's so cheap nowadays, right? Once upon a time, stuff was. I saw this gaming station that was like twenty grand. Maybe you get me to buy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. But I just I'm happy with the eight hundred dollar yeah. version, right? And yeah. I I went and tried out a massage chair yesterday that's seven thousand mm. dollars, and then I came back to my six hundred dollar chair, and I'm like. I'm not going to get six grand more value out of this. Yeah. So, but what one, the lesson I'm getting out of this is I don't think there is something I, I, I want to go to Mexico for, in January and spend time with my friends. Mm. So a little bit of money for that. would be nice. Mm. But, mm. but other than that, it was great to realize that it's not the material purchases that are mm. going to do it. I want peace of mind. Mm. Definitely. So, so more consistent revenue, yes. But the rest of it, no. It's nice to have trinkets, but mm. beyond a few, you know, yeah. even the iPad, I might send back. I'm like, what do I need an iPad? What's that? You start losing track of them after a while. It's like, where was that? And thing then you've got all this stuff you accumulate, and I've been moving a fair bit, so it's more that I've got to carry around. Um, I personally would like to buy a house, right? So I'm saving up to to do that. And that's really just peace of mind. I yeah. live in, I live exactly where I want to live right now and I'm renting. So I don't yeah. need a house, but. Yeah. I mean, a house is sort of like a big commitment at the end of the day in terms of time, right? So if you're going to have a house and you need to stay somewhere, like if you're going to be moving around or want to keep moving, then that becomes a problem in itself. Yeah. And and this, this topic that you've brought up really fits in with the three things that, um, the three promises in my program. Mm-hmm. We start with money. We start with money because most people's brains are telling them, mm. I need to make more money and I'll be happier when I do. Mm. And more money is better than less money. So that's fine. Let's start with double your revenue. Mm-hmm. But I know you really don't want to be burned out and you don't want to be working 60-hour weeks. Mm. Uh, it's not sustainable and it's not going to uh, have you have the life that you really want to have 
So the second promise is let's double your time off. And then thirdly, and I put that in third because most people's brains aren't telling them they need this. <laughs> but what I most care about is how are you showing up in the world as a, as a partner, mm. as a parent, mm. as a friend, and as a human? I care about that. So mm. we'll start with the money and time off, but then let's look at how, how daring are you? Mm. How's your truth telling? You know, could you, could you tell the truth 30% more often? How's your caring? And we get to some of those more human elements. That's interesting. I, was, I read a couple of books by James Elcher a few years ago, and, it, and one of the things he said was invest in experiences, not things. And I think that's where, you, when you look back, when you look about you've done in your life, you don't go, oh, I bought that really fancy car. No, what happened when you bought no. that car? Where, what experience did you have when you bought that car? That's what you'll remember. You won't even remember what car you had probably, right? But you'll remember yeah. the experience of being the first date or whatever the case may be. And I think that's that was a very interesting thing that, you know, because he's doing investments and stuff like that, so it's quite an interesting thing. But at the end of the day, says invest in experiences because at the end of the day, on your deathbed, you won't be worrying about, you know, how much work you didn't get done. You'd be worried, you'd be thinking about who you affected or who you didn't affect or what you didn't achieve. Yeah, you know? I, I, would, I would go drill into that a little deeper and say, yeah, experiences, but it's probably mostly going to be experiences with people. Mm, and it's going to be your connections. Yes. I've got one one client. Um, she's given me permission to use her name, Amy, Amy Youngblood Interiors. If you guys need some designing done, okay. um, you know we doubled revenue over twelve months. It's great. Mm. Yeah, that was one thing she wanted to do. So so she doubled revenue. But I really think most of the value for her has been in the relationships and the communication and the self-expression and learning how to speak up mm. for what, what she needs and handle some of those diffi difficult, uh, tough conversations. Now, you know, if I just said, hey, join the Tough Conversations program, no one sign <laughs> yeah. up because who, who really cares about that? Yeah. So we started on the money, mm. but we ended up on the things that I, I, I really believe have been way more valuable for her in the long run mm -hmm. now though you know the money's good plus it justifies uh, your program fee and it covers your expenses mm -hmm. but then logical get into your time off mm -hmm. and then how are you showing up in the world as a as a human because on your deathbed you're going to look back and it's going to be your relationships mm -hmm. that you've most cared about it's going to be the kindness that mm -hmm. you did for people that you value the most and the things that were done for you that that mm -hmm. touched your heart yeah, yeah, not how much how many cars you got sitting out front. <laughs> yeah. It's funny though, but most people will just, you know, buy something on logic and justify it with emotion, right? So later on they'll go, I bought that because of this logical reason, but the reality was an emotional reason for buying it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's some, and it may not be very deep emotional sometimes, but sometimes it is. But yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's, it's like, you know, logic's great, but the reality is people don't, you know, logic is only just to justify it later in some respects. We want to feel good. And and so when you are when you are say, I'll, I'll just say this and I do need to go in a couple yeah. of minutes but um, <laughs> I don't want to honor your time yeah. um, you know when you're setting your goals and now's a good time to do it with the new year coming mm. start with how you want to feel mm. don't start with what you want to have accomplished or done start mm. with how you want to feel and then ask yourself what do I need to have in my life to feel like that. And, and then you work backwards from there. Mm. 
Mm, absolutely, I think that's a great place to leave it because anything, particularly with um, with the silly season coming up, that's the, the season of feelings really that comes down for most people. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, David, for your time. It was great chatting with you, and I think um, it's it's good to kind of chuck some ideas around, and hopefully, somebody will get something out of this in terms of that. I think if you just do one thing that we talked about at least, and just keep reinforcing and constantly over time, you'll get better and better at it. And I think goal setting is something people should should get better and better at. Yep. And and if nothing else out of this whole conversation, go and book in 20 minutes with yourself every week and show up for that date for the first four dates. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like it, okay, drop it. But if you do, now it's a habit and uh, be be a game changer for you. So what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Is have you got a website we can we'll put up on the links and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, in fact I've got a gift basket. Okay, cool. Goodies for business owners. So um I got three things for you. One is uh a cheat sheet with the the fastest way to double revenue. It's like where would I start? So it's a little cheat sheet. Secondly, there's a video on how to implement the steps in the in the cheat sheet, and it's specifically geared to how to achieve twice as much in less time. So, uh, and the third thing is, if you're a business owner who's really serious about doubling revenue, I will do a free 15-minute double your revenue audit mm-hmm. with you. Excellent. We'll go through and we'll work out the low-hanging fruit so you know exactly where to start in your business. Because the plan for your business to double revenue and time off is not going to be the same as someone else's. Mm-hmm. True. So, I'm happy to do that for you. And you can get all three of those goodies at myfocusgift.com. And that'll take you to the rest of my website, uh, the focus.co website. But myfocusgift.com is uh, easy to remember, and you can get all three of those things there. Excellent. Thank you so much. That's excellent. I'm sure people would love to have that. So really appreciate time. Thanks for being an awesome guest, and maybe we can chat again soon. My pleasure. Yeah, maybe we'll play squash someday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would really enjoy that. Cool. We'll, we'll make that a date. <laughs> Thanks, David.